Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, um, joining me via Zoom from his home in North Ogden, is my friend Jordan Stewart. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Thanks, Richard. Jordan and I have known each other for several years, and we've traded messages, and um, I've been anxious to have Jordan on the podcast, and it all worked out to make this happen. Just as by way of introduction, both Jordan and I kind of went through a faith crisis that actually started about the same time in the year 2016. I've talked about in the podcast, I've called that a mini faith crisis where I worked through that and found a way to stay a committed member of the church. And Jordan will share his faith crisis, if that's the vocabulary he he chooses to use, and um, why he's working hard to stay in the church. And um, just by more of background, Jordan's married. He's a father of two kids, one more on the way. He has an undergraduate from Utah State and a master's degree in communications from Weber State. He's a marketing guy, and he is a marathon runner. And before we started to record, we talked marathons because we both run the Boston Marathon. My qualifying time um, about 10, 12 years ago was to run under 330. And tell our listeners what you had to run to qualify for Boston, Jordan. I ran a 259. And a 259 what? Tell us the rest of it. The 259.54, so just under three hours. And that is, for those of you that are marathon runners, know that is huge. Um, so, if, and that is your PR right now? Yeah. Will that be your lot? Is there any way to beat that, Jordan, at age 30? <laughs> Can you beat that? You know, I really hope to. I tried uh, about two years ago and failed, but it's still it's still something that I plan on doing. And I love to run. I walk now, um, but I love my running days and the meditation and everything. Um, Jordan, uh, why do I, what I, the goal of this podcast, listeners, is if you're in a faith crisis, um, I think it's good to listen to somebody else in a faith crisis and working hard to resolve that. So Jordan's story is not done. It's not like, okay, now Jordan knows exactly where he is and exactly the answers to everything. A lot of you listeners are probably in the middle of this. Um, Jordan's been in it for four years, so he's pretty far along. But I just think it's good to hear from somebody else that's walking this road. And maybe the things that Jordan is learning, um, he can share with you and it can help you. And our joint hope also, and Jordan offered the prayer before we started, is that um, if you're a local leader, a parent, or a family member, and have got something, somebody going through a faith crisis, that there are things that you pick up here that will help you as you're trying to help others. There's, I had no training um, in my church and work to help people in faith crises, and it's really my own faith crisis that gave me better tools to help others, to be honest. So... Um, we just pray this podcast to be helpful. So tell our listeners where you served your mission. I served in from 2009 to 2011 in Goiânia, Brazil. And until um, then, our listeners, we're just going to kind of get right to 2016. What happened in 2016? Because you're just going along, married, I think, and just everything aligning with the church. And what happened in 2016? Yeah, like growing up, I could not have had a more, you know, run-of-the-mill Mormon upbringing. Um, I came from a very devout family, and we, we, like, we had family home evening every Monday night, went to church every Sunday. It was something that we just never missed. And then I went on a mission, came back. I met my wife shortly after my mission, and then I was married a little over a year later. And things were just smooth sailing. And um, I... I'm, it's hard to get the timing right uh, around 2016, what came first, but that we, we had either just had our first, our first child, um, Finn. It, it, we'd either just had him or we were about ready to have him and my wife was pregnant at the time, one of the two. But um, I was actually at work um, and someone mentioned at work that Joseph Smith had multiple wives and uh, that was something that I was unaware of. And it was actually something that I had come across in, in, on my mission in Brazil. And I thought it was anti-Mormon lies and something that I had argued against very passionately saying like, I've been a member of this church for my whole life. 
if Joseph Smith was a polygamist, it was something I would know. Um, but then my, another coworker of mine who was a very devout member, someone that I knew would know something, uh, around these, she would know whether or not that was true. She actually confirmed it in front of me. And I, I didn't say anything at the time, but I, I, I wonder what my face looked like. Cause I was blown away and I, I felt very dumb in the moment that that was something that I didn't know. And so I actually, uh, within 24 hours, I made a, a promise to myself that I would never feel like that again, that I, I would not go another day of my 26 years of life, not knowing something about some, about my own religion, about my own culture. And I love the term you used before we started to record blindsided. Um, pretty powerful term. And I love Jordan that you just said your desire then to understand was just, I want to understand our history. That's a great motive. There's not a motive here of wanting to find a way to leave the church or not believe. You just, from a purely um, authentic standpoint and wanting to understand everything about our faith, you just wanted to understand our history and realize you'd been blindsided. That's pretty logical feeling. So just keep sharing with our listeners. Um, you seem like a pretty responsible guy, so you took this pretty seriously. This isn't like, I'm going to check this out for six hours and check the box and move on. You went kind of on a deep dive to really understand. I did. And, you know, if you don't mind, I uh, fast forward three years, I it was something that, I, like you said, I went on a deep dive and it was... It was very deep. And, and so fast forward three years, I actually made a post on Facebook. And it's, it's something that I continue to share with people as I come across them and they have questions about their faith crisis or someone that they know that went through a faith crisis because I think it's applicable. And a lot of people uh, will f- that have gone through something similar to what I've gone through uh, will resonate with what, with what I had to say. And so do you mind if I read yeah, that right please. now? please. So this is my story of what many call a faith crisis. Spoiler alert, I'm still active in the church, but I'm not the same kind of person I was three years ago. If you care to know more about the person I am today, here's my story. Don't worry, you're not going to find the specific concepts that triggered my faith crisis in here. This is just a glimpse into my personal story. Three years ago, I discovered something regarding polygamy that I had believed, declared, and defended was actually false. I felt blindsided. In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a huge issue. However, I felt stupid having taught and defended something so adamantly that was in fact false. So in order to avoid, in order to avoid future ignorance, I dug deeper into polygamy. After learning more and more, I realized I had been believing, teaching, and defending something that I knew almost nothing about. I decided I needed to know everything. I no longer feel like I, I no longer felt like I knew what the LDS church was. I didn't feel like I could continue to put my name on the line for a religion that I didn't know for myself. And so I decided I'm going to be that guy that knows everything about Mormonism. So for the past three years, I studied relentlessly. I dove headfirst into what I quickly discovered was a deep, dark hole. There were many times in that first year that I couldn't even function. I couldn't focus at work. I couldn't sleep. All I wanted to do was study the church. What I was learning was consuming me. I tried my very best to stick to the approved materials like the church essays and the church approved books and the other resources found on LDS.org or now churchofjesuschrist.org. When I branched out, I vigorously researched the sources of all the information I was reading to make sure that I wasn't being lied to. I was determined to avoid all of the, quote, anti-Mormon material. But my world was crumbling. I was deeply depressed, defeated, betrayed, and absolutely furious. For those of you who know me, you know I love running. Running was literally life-saving me through all this. My morning runs on the trails became therapy. I would listen to podcasts, both critical and non-critical of the church. I would listen to various books from Deseret Book on their app. I run for about an hour a day, so that's over a thousand hours of learning over the last three years. There were multiple occasions on my trail runs that I was forced to stop, not from physical fatigue, but because I was emotionally, spiritually, and mentally exhausted. I would find secluded areas and honestly just cry, or I would yell as loud as I could in frustration. I can hardly explain the feeling. I was numb to the world, but I'm on fi- 
but I was on fire inside. The fire raged inside me for a couple months. Without running, I think I would have gone into a deeper depression or had a complete mental breakdown. The fire left me burned and empty inside. I have tried to rebuild my belief system that the fire engulfed, but it looks nothing like it did before. My, my new belief system is complicated. It's intricate. Some call it New Order Mormonism, Progressive Mormonism, Nuanced Mormonism, or just un- unorthodox. After going through all that, I get why people leave the church. In fact, I have tremendous respect for that choice and the people on that journey. Despite what many people think, it's not the easy way out to leave the church. It's the hardest decision many people will ever make. I stood face to face with that decision and trust me, it's arguably easier to stay in the church than it is to leave it. On the flip side, I also respect people who stay. Living in a paradoxical world is not for the faint of heart. And I do not and one thing I do want to make clear is I do not understand nor respect those who vilify or degrade the other camp for their choice to leave or to stay. It is not your job or responsibility to pass judgment on anyone for their journey. As for me and my family, we're staying. I do acknowledge the following privileges that allow me to stay. I'm white, I'm male, I'm an RM, I'm cisgender, and I'm heterosexual. I also have a wife who is committed to our marriage, patient and understanding. Not everyone has those privileges. And I will be the first to empathize with those who have been harmed because they lack any of those privileges. While I've chosen to stay, what I believe does not fit the traditional Mormon mold. I have put myself in a gray area, a middle ground of sorts, no man's land. As I sit here in a metaphorical no man's land, I understand I might not be accepted by either side. The faithful Latter-day Saints will see me as a wolf in sheep's clothing, and the ex-Mormons might see me as a fool for staying. But this is my choice to believe what I want to believe and worship where I want to worship. I do not know where this journey will take me. I just know where I, this is where I am now. During this time, I had a friend, one who was traveling the same road as, as me at the same time, roughly. I was able to lean on him, vent to him, learn from him. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. I hope to be, I hope to be that friend to anyone reading this, or in this case, listening to it. I write this in hope, and I say this in hope, of strengthening friendships and making new ones. And if you find this hard to hear, rather than pushing me away, I hope we can work together and come to an understanding instead. I'm not advocating that everyone go out and search for the faith-shattering problems in Mormonism. Um, however, if you decide to go down that dark hall, I, I will grab my light and I will go with you. If you choose not to go down that path, I respect your decision. So that's, that's something that I shared on my Facebook wall. And it, it got a lot of, of comments and it spurred a lot of amazing conversations. And I, I have ne- not one day has gone by that I have regretted sharing something that was very, very personal. And that's why I'm, I feel more than comfortable sharing it today because I, I think there is a lot of power in sharing one story in a place like this that, um, where vulnerability is rewarded. Thanks for sharing that, Jordan. I've read that post, um, but hearing you share that post verbally and seeing you on my computer screen brought tears to my eyes because I just sent your great heart and your desire to do what's right, and your desire to reconcile. And I can, some, there's something about this running part of your story that just draws my heart into your story and just yelling and screaming and praying and um, as you're just wrestling with this. Um, so I love that you're publicly sharing about your journey because I think that's helpful to others. Talk about the feedback. I mean... That went out, I think, in September of 2019, and we're recording this in November, so it's roughly been 14 months. Just share with our listeners kind of the feedback and the kind of conversations you're having. You know, I, I, I'll, nothing negative has come from that post. I'm not going to say it's been the easiest path, but it's something that I feel like I've been able to be. somewhat of a of a a rock to someone who's going through something like this the it, there's so much like it's a roller coaster going through something like this and looking for something steady i have felt like i've been able to be something like 
something that someone can hold on to when they're going through this. And so not only that for someone that's going through a faith crisis, but then people who have a friend or family member that's going through it, they see me as someone that's safe that they can talk to. That's not super angry, even though I went through some definite, I definitely went through an angry phase. It's I'm, I'm not going to be upset with, or I'm not going to try and bring someone down when they reach out to me about questions or anything. And so I, I, I've been able to talk to friends who have brothers and sisters that have gone through a faith crisis and help them understand a little bit more where they're coming from so that they can kind of practice that empathy and at family gatherings, instead of ostracizing them, they can understand where they're coming from when they make certain comments. And I really, I really hope that that, that that's what I've been able to do for the people that have interacted with me since I've talked about it publicly. Um, for our listeners, I think you just moved into a new ward and then COVID happened. So you really haven't gotten a feel for your current ward. Talk about your prior ward, because I believe that was a re- your leadership there. You were, that ward was a good ward for you. So talk, and it sounds like you were open with people about where you were. And, and that didn't, and that was a positive general experience. So share that with our listeners. It was, it was, uh, I, I, I assume that the word that we're in will be great once we get to know people, but we haven't really been able to go to church because of COVID. But so in my previous word, my, my Bishop, I assume he had read my post because he, he reached out a couple months later and, and just said, Hey, I'd really like to have a conversation with you. Would you be willing to come to the church? And he invited me in and he, he said, Jordan, I just want to know more about your story. Tell me everything. And the conversation wow, was long. Great question. Right. It, it was. What a great question. I want it open-ended. I want to know everything. Yeah. And he just let me talk. He would ask questions every once in a while, but we ended the conversation. It was probably an hour long and we ended the conversation without him really giving me any advice or, or teaching or trying to give me the answers. It was just an incredibly positive experience. It's something that I wish everyone that I talked to when I was going through my faith crisis, that they would have done the same thing. Just listen and empathize. It, it, was, it was everything I could have asked for in a, from a leader in the church. Did he continue to engage with you? Did he give you, did you and your wife have callings in that word? Did you feel a sense of need and belonging? Or did you feel like because you were in this other space that um, people distance themselves from you? So unfortunately we were already moving. <laughs> we, we had the house that we were building was almost done and he knew we were on our way out. And I think that also made me kind of a safe person to talk to for him. Um, he was a relatively new bishop and I was not the only one in the ward that was going through a faith crisis. And I think he saw me as an opportunity. I don't know if it's because of something that I wrote on that post or if it's just he saw me as a safe person in some other way. But I think I was able to kind of give him a little bit of an insight into some of the other struggles that were happening in his ward. And so unfortunately he didn't have the time to, we didn't have callings at the time, but that wasn't because like we had previously been in callings, but we were kind of in between and then everyone knew we were moving. So I think that's good. it didn't have anything to do with, with the faith crisis. What advice do you have for local leaders or parents or friends when someone opens up and just, you know, when you open up to somebody, what advice do you have for them to sort of meet your needs and help you versus add to your burden? You know, I, I read your brother's uh, book, David Osler's book, Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. I, I would highly, highly recommend that book. Out of all of the books that I've read about going through a faith crisis, that one is at the top of the list. And at the end of the book, he is talking, it's not their real names, but I believe the, the pseudonym that the, the guy has is Mike. And he's telling his story. And at the end of the book, uh, David kind of asks him the same question. And what Mike said was just, just listen. We, there are, I am confident after going through this for 
four years, which is in the grand scheme of things is not a long time, but I am confident that there is no, you know, universal solution to all of these questions. There are no answers to the questions. And so trying to come to someone that's going through a faith crisis, especially in the moment, maybe in hindsight, you can look back and see answers, but in the moment, presenting answers feels like, like you're not really listening to that person. And so if you can just sit down and listen and validate the struggles and the doubt, even if you yourself are not willing to read the church essays and learn about the topics that they're struggling with, like everyone has their own path. And if that's not your path, I, I respect that. And, but that person that's going through a faith crisis, they're, they're in a state that's almost like fight or flight. Like they feel like they're drowning. I, I remember in the beginning of my faith crisis, I was laying in bed, not able to sleep. And I, I remember is that allowing new for you. Is that, I mean, I am assuming that that's a new space for you just to have all this emotional turmoil. If I'd met you in high school or up until 2016, I'm sensing that's just not your world. And this is a completely new experience for you. Yeah. That I, this was by far the hardest thing I had gone through emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It, it was completely new territory. But I, and so anyways, I was lay, I would lay in bed and I would, I remember feeling like I was falling and like, that's the only thing I can equate it to, but it, it felt like the floor had been pulled out from under me. And I was in this situation where everything that I valued, everything that I had grown up believing was in question. And when you're talking to someone in that situation, like it's like coming up to a drowning person. You don't try and, and, and when a drowning person is flailing all around, you can't get close to that person or they're, or they're because they're being violent. And so you have to kind of just be there for them until they can calm down. And so I know that's not a perfect metaphor, but if you can just listen to that person and validate their, their struggles, then I think that's the most important thing you can do. Did you question if God existed as part of this? Um, just when you start often list, I think our, most of our listeners understand this when some questions start, it logically can go all the way down to, you know, the existence of God. Yeah. It, I think it was brief. It's hard to look back, um, and, and know just how long I, I, I had those doubts, but it, like you said, it's, it can be a domino effect when, when you hear about things that were either misrepresented or mis, or it just, it feels like you were lied to right. dominoes start to fall. And when the dominoes start to fall in religion, it can't help but come up against the, the God domino. And that's something that I definitely brought into question. Um, and it was, people talk about a faith crisis using the words, a dark night of the soul. And that, that is something that I believe perfectly explains that feeling. When you get to the point of you don't know what, if anything, is true that you grew up with. And when God comes into question and Jesus Christ comes into question, like that, that is the very foundation on which I grew up learning. Like it, it, was, it was everything to me. And so, yeah, I absolutely had those doubts creep in. Talk about, because I wouldn't have understood this if I hadn't felt it myself, Jordan, just that there's an emotional component to part this. I mean, it's not just an academic experience where you're just learning facts like we are in school and it's an intellectual academic experience. It's obviously a spiritual experience, but just if you can put words into, it actually was emotionally you know, just the emotional experience for our listeners. So I talked about in my post how I would, I would get overwhelmed with emotion. I remember one experience in particular, we were on just, I think it was a weekend trip down to St. George. And it just so happened that I was listening to a podcast about the Mormon Meadows Massacre. 
um, that happened down in Southern Utah. And that's something that I had never heard about. It was something that's kind of a dark part of our history that happened down there in Southern Utah. And I remember breaking down on that run and just stopping and weeping for having my heritage be a part of something that could be so dark. And just the emotional weight that was on my shoulders after learning all of these things that aren't taught on, in Sunday. And I don't expect them to be taught in Sunday. And we can get into like how, how the future looks in terms of teaching some of this history. But it, it, was, it was very emotionally heavy and something that it, it felt like there was a responsibility on my shoulders that I didn't know some of this stuff that, um, that our church had done in the past. That's, a, that's helpful. I don't know if this is a good analogy or not. It's like finding out a relative maybe three or four generations away was not who you thought they were. And they were on the wrong side of history on a war issue or a social issue. Or, and you, it's part of your DNA. It's part of your heritage. So when you learn that, there's an emotional component of that that's really unsettling. And especially, and I'm not talking to Jordan here because Jordan understands this. I think especially when we consecrate so much of our time towards an organization, missions and tithing. And it's more than just a Sunday. It's our, it's a way of life. It's wired into us. It's part of our fibers. So when we learn something as part of our past is, is caused harm to people, then I think it makes sense. There's an emotional, if we care, (laughs) there's a, I mean, emotional feeling there um, that is complex and you use the word paradox. I think that's a great term. Just keep sharing your story. I mean, I, I, I will tell our listeners more of what you'd like them to know. Well, that's a very open-ended question. And um, I just, mostly what I want to say is having shared my experience, I, I want to make room for people who had a different experience. Every faith crisis is as unique as the person who experienced it. So just because I felt so emotional doesn't mean that everyone that goes through what I went through will feel as emotional or the the issues that were big for me, like finding out Joseph Smith was a polygamist. Maybe that is nothing to someone else. Every faith crisis is different and not everyone goes through as deep of a of a crisis as as I went through and I'm not saying that I went through the deepest ever because there are definitely people who have probably experienced something darker than what I went through but um there have been certain going through the crisis uh my faith crisis I've looked for community and for belonging to among groups that of people that feel similar to me. Um, just because when you go to church on Sunday and people share their testimonies, a lot of times I don't, I don't align with, uh, all of what's said over the pulpit sometimes. And so it's really hard for me to feel like I belong. And so I know there are multiple communities out there for people who are struggling and doubting and there are a few groups that I feel like are very good. And one of those is Waters of Mormon. Um, it's full of a community of people that are striving to, to make this work for them in, in, a, in a way that's intellectually satisfying while at the same time feeling like they're not being inauthentic to who they are. Um, and then there are other groups that advertise that they are a place where people can go that are going through faith crises and I've been a part of those groups and it just feels very toxic in in a way that um, the people that are in that group are in there to save the people that are going through faith, the, a faith crisis. And a lot of times that will backfire. Like I said, I think the best place or the best thing you can do for someone going through a faith crisis is to listen to them. And these groups that f- feel like they're trying to provide all the answers for people are in reality pushing them away. Because it, it, 
I, I, like I said, I feel like I can be very confident. There, there are questions that do not have answers. And when you preach that you have all the answers to the questions, it feels like you're not really listening and you don't really understand. And so people will go elsewhere to look for the acceptance and understanding. And a lot of those places are the ex-Mormon communities where they will be more welcoming to the people that have doubts. And I attribute my ability or my desire, my continuous desire to stay in the church to having those communities both online and offline with that friend that I mentioned in my post. Um, he, the, the communities that I'm a part of online and this person, they have been someone that I can just vent to and never feel like I'm being judged for any of the doubts that I have, any of the beliefs that I have, any of the things that I'm struggling with at the time. And that has incredibly been very helpful and healthy for me to sort out my doubts, to sort out how I feel, to sort out how, what I believe and how to continue to be a productive member of this church. It's a great answer. So just a, it wasn't really an answer. It's just a great part of your story. I like Waters of Mormon too. I joined Waters of Mormon um, just as my bishop assignment was winding down in about 2015, 2016. And that was a group that provided me with a level of support that no other place could because I could be honest with how I felt and what was going on. And and it, it really helped me. I'm still a member of that group. And um, continue to see its role like you've talked about to help people and be a safe place. And I recognize I could connect with groups outside of the church that could understand some of the things I was processing and feeling. Um, but to your point, I didn't really want to leave the church. I wanted to find a way to stay. Um, I believed in our core restored doctrine. And, and so that group and just communities, my older brother, who I didn't really realize was in kind of the same space I was, it's interesting within our own family. I didn't even know my older brother that you referenced his book, Dave, was kind of going through the same things I was. And um, we've been, a, and he's been a support to me. So I do love the idea of finding community within our church. And it's hard sometimes in our two or three hour block to find that at church because it just doesn't, it's not a format for vulnerable, open, sort of these more complicated discussions. And I think we both recognize that the majority of saints want to go to church and just not necessarily have these more complicated discussions. Um, and I've sort of learned that, and I think you're in the same space, that I don't want to sort of complicate their experience with the church by sharing my complicated experiences. That's taken a lot of maturity on my part that I'm still not always there. But I like... I think it was Bruce Haven talked about going around and popping everybody's bubbles with your sort of pop bubble. And, um, and I thought that was pretty thoughtful and it sort of gave me a framework to navigate um, just that people are going to be in different spaces and, and not everybody's going to kind of get or connect with the space I'm on in. It, more thoughts on just that overall idea, Jordan. Yeah. I, and maybe the, you could introduce to our listeners Fowler's Stages of Faith. Yeah. Um, so I believe it was one of your podcast episodes. I think it was Janice Spangler that, ha that was on. And she introduced me to Fowler stages of faith. And I believe it's one through five. But the first two are very juvenile. And you kind of go through those stages of faith as a very young person. And then stage three is a stage in which everything is in black and white. It's true or not true. It's yes or no. And, and then stage four is deconstruction. And that's, a, that's where the faith crisis happens. That's when you come across material that, that challenges your beliefs. It doesn't have to be, and this isn't unique to Mormonism. This is, this is for every religion. It can be every belief that you have. It doesn't have to be even a religious belief. And then stage five is more on the universalism side where You've, you've gone through the deconstruction and you've been able to take what beliefs with you that were fundamental to who you are, but then also bring in beliefs from, from other practices, from other religions, from other 
places. And, and to say that you are always in one stage is not, not accurate. And to say that one stage is better than another stage is also not accurate. This is when, when she was talking about this. And since I've studied a little bit more about these stages, it's really helped me. It's like a, it's like an, a, an owner's manual looking into how I work as a human. And it's been really helpful for me to see myself bouncing back and forth and, and how I sit in a stage three on certain topics and how stage four has helped me get to a stage five on certain other topics and how stage three is appropriate in some certain scenarios and certain situations. So I've just really enjoyed Janice Spangler as a as everything that she has to say, but then also her introduction to Fowler stages of faith, which is a whole other topic. It's not even something that she came up with. She was explaining, I think it's Dr. Fowler that came out with it. You said something really powerful um, in that segment, Jordan, that I identify with. I wrote it down. It gave me an owner's manual on how I work as a human. That really resonates with me. And I think it helped me just feel like when I was going through this, that I, this was normal. And, and it just gave context to all the emotional, spiritual, physical sort of turmoil I went through. And I, it really helped me. And it just gave, I like sort of models and tools and perspectives and paradigms to sort of navigate what I'm going through. That's how my mind's wired. And it, it helped me to have empathy for stage three people because there's a lot of stage three people in both of our lives. And I wanted at first to kind of pull them to where I was and help them understand all the stuff that I was becoming aware of. Um, and that's a pretty logical, normal thing. But then it gave me just enough tools to say, that's maybe that's okay. Maybe their job is never to be in a different stage. And it doesn't mean they're not progressing. It's not, they're not ranked order. If I'm in four or five and they're in three, it doesn't mean I'm better. It just means we're just where we're supposed to be. And it's not my job to pull everybody out of three. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yes. I like you are explaining it perfectly. I, I think a lot of people that go through a faith crisis go into four and they get so very upset that the people on stage three are not feeling the same pain that they're feeling. And that's where anger can come from. And that's where the toxic, you know, they left the church, but they won't leave it alone. They're sitting in that deconstruction phase and there's a lot of pain there. And I totally get that. And then a lot of times, once people have left the church, they drop back into that stage three where it's black and white. And that's where you kind of get the polarized version of, of either it's true or it's not. And it can, it can be very toxic, especially among family members. But if you can sit back and see where you're sitting, I think it really opens up a, a more deep dialogue or a more, an opportunity for deeper dialogue. Talk about, do you feel you're kind of at your landing point? Do you feel the new norm has been a long, going long enough that you feel pretty, the deconstruction and reconstruction is kind of stable? Or do you feel like you're still in the middle of this? Um, you and I have gone back and forth for, I think you reached out initially right after I posted that, that post on Facebook to, to come on your podcast. And I, I was telling you this before we started recording that I have hesitated for over a year now to come on this podcast because I wanted to feel like I had arrived somewhere. I wanted to feel like I had some sort of wisdom that I could impart on your listeners that would help them solve all of their problems or help their, their sister or brother go through a faith crisis. That, and I, I feel like I have not arrived. I feel like this is a journey that will forever be a learner's journey. I will continue to learn until the day I die and never feel like I've arrived anywhere. I don't know if that's because of my personality, because I'm not one of these great wise people like Janice Spangler and like Thomas McConkie and all of these amazing people that I love to listen to. But I, I just, I hope that my story can help people. But at the same time, like I do not, I do not want to come across like I am some sort, I have any sort of expertise in this. I, my expertise is my story. And I hope that that people can glean what they can from it and leave what, what's not helpful. I love your answer. It's just this authentic, honest Jordan Stewart. Um, you don't like to be used, described as humble, but that's a pretty humble answer. 
It's a pretty honest answer. And I think a lot of us are really where you are when we're really honest about things. And that's why I'm really glad you're doing the podcast right now, Jordan, because I think there's a lot of listeners that are in the middle of this and it's the dark night of the soul and they need to know other people are walking the same road. But at the same time, there's a lot of hope in your story. Um, and there's been a lot of healing that's occurred as I sense where you are. I think you've made a lot of progress and have done a lot of work to be where you are. And to have a, f- when I asked Jordan before we went live, are you trying to find a way to stay in the church or not? I mean, you were pretty clear. I really want to stay in the church. Um, and I, you know, and we both recognize that may not be everybody's journey. And we certainly have learned to develop empathy for people that step away. I love your answer and I love where you are. Um, I just, I think that's a sign of just who you are. Um, talk about being a parent. You've got kids that I think your oldest is three or four. You've got a third one on the way, your wife and you're kind of in the same spot. Just what are your thoughts I'm sure you've given, just knowing you, I'm sure on these runs and with your wife, you've talked about, okay, we're going to raise our kids um, in a way that they don't ever get blindsided at age 26 out to lunch. And you will be the, and you're thinking, how are we going to do that? Just share with our listeners a little bit about what you want to do as parents raising your kids in the church. You know, that's, that's something that has come up you're right. It has come up all the time. And it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. And one thing before I start talking about being a parent, I want to give a shout out to my wife and for her being so patient with me through all of this. We, we have not shared this journey stride for stride. She is, she's come with me and been very understanding. And we have a lot of the same issues and struggles and doubts. But at the same time, like I, I'm just, I will forever be grateful. I remember one conversation in particular in, in the really dark doubt, uh, doubtful moment during my dark night of the soul, if you want to call it that. I remember asking her if she would leave me if I left the church and she didn't even hesitate. And she said, I will never leave you. And that gave me so much comfort and so much. I felt so much love in that moment that I knew I could rely on her and be authentic and be myself around her in a way that would allow me to continue to grow, even if that meant leaving the church. And thankfully, that's not what I wanted. And that's not the direction I'm going. But I, not every. Not every spouse is has been, as, not every spouse is as patient as she is, and so having her with me and on the same page has been life saving and marriage saving. And even though we don't have the exact same point of view, um, it's something that we're that we're definitely working on, especially as we talk about our kids and how to raise them and what to do in certain situations, like when they're taught something at church that isn't necessarily lining up with our beliefs as uh, whatever you want to call us, progressive Mormons, nuanced Mormons. Um, I know we're not supposed to use Mormons, but I keep using it. That's okay. Um, (laughs) Nuanced members of the church. Um, But we have ultimately come down to deciding that we are going to take it day by day that stressing out about what the future looks like um, for our kids. We both had amazing childhoods within the church. It's a place that I, I look back on my years growing up. Yeah, there was, there's some toxic culture that's within the church, but that's within most communities. Like every community is going to have its hiccups and our, its flaws. And I absolutely loved the church programs and the, the, the areas in which I was pushed to go outside of my comfort zone because of the church. And I, I think it's a great place to, to raise your kids. And, and so Carly and I have every intention of doing so, unless for some reason it becomes a place where we don't feel like we can do that anymore. But I love your answer of saying, we're going to take it day by day. I think there's a, actually 
and less that's less stressful and maybe creates less anxiety. Um, I'm not a therapist, but I, from a, that standpoint, I really like that, that because you probably don't, if you try to figure that all right now with just young kids, what conversations you can have at 15 or 16, that's, some of that's good to talk about, but maybe some of that's just know that we'll know how to talk about it at the right time. I love the question you asked your wife. That's a really brave question, Jordan. Would you leave me if I left the church? I'm glad. I think it. I think it's a fear that a lot of people that go through a faith crisis when they're married, it's something that they have to face because our, our belief system, our religion is, is very high demand. And a lot of times this can be a deal breaker in, in, in a marriage. And I, I am just very grateful that she was able to, you know, give me the ability to be my own self and to go on this journey and not hold back in front of her. Yeah, and I love that made her safe for you, that you knew that her love for you was not conditional on you staying in the church or not. And then that obviously signals to you that you can talk to her about what's really going on. And I think that's part of being, I mean, I, I do want people to find a way to stay in the church, listeners. I honor people that step away and I don't judge you or, or worry about you, but this podcast is church supportive. And so I think of things we can do to help people, especially people that want to stay, make it easier for them to stay. And having people that can sort of sit with them, like your bishop did and your wife and others, seems to be a key part of, of effective ministering. I think the kind of ministering the Elder Holland talks about. Talk about, um, I have a couple questions. Talk about, would you go back? So it's 2020 and 2015. Um, would you go back, Jordan, if there were a way to avoid this, if Heavenly Father sat you down in 2015 and said, Jordan, there's two paths for you. One is I'm going to keep you protected, if that's the word he used, of, of all the complicated stuff in the church so you can just never have this, you never... I don't know what words to use, or I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to create a path for you where um, you go through what you're going through now. Um, what would you choose? I would, I have <laughs> no regrets. I, I, this experience has like, I don't want to go through it again, obviously, but <laughs> um, it has been something that has forced me to grow in a way that it could not have happened in any other way. And I love the faith that I have now. I love the beliefs that I have now. I, you use a, a phrase uh, on this podcast a few times that you, you don't know everything, but if anything comes up, you're not going to feel blindsided. Um, you're not going to be surprised with the, the church history and with church doctrine. And I, I feel the same. I might not know everything, but I feel so incredibly firm in my faith in God, in my faith in Jesus Christ, in my faith in, in, in humanity. And I, I feel like this church is the place where I want to be. And it's a, it's a place that I plan on, on continuing to grow. And so to answer your question, like I, I definitely would, knowing what I know now, I would take the the hard path and go through the faith crisis again. I'm the same way. Um, I could never have this conversation with you, Jordan, five years ago. I wouldn't know what to say. It would be, I would be uncomfortable with it. I would, I wouldn't know how to process it, and I would probably pull away. and And now I'm just glad to count you as a friend and be able to walk the same road with you. And I just, I feel the same way. And I feel less divisiveness with my human family because of my own faith crisis. I see more good. I have less us versus them. I see good everywhere more than I used to see it. I don't have as much fear in my own life as I used to have. I just, it's like, I mean, for me, it's been really painful, but really beautiful. Um, so I wouldn't go back either. Um, but Sundays are harder for me. I mean, some parts of my journey within the church. The so Sundays aren't often the, my favorite day of the week. It's not because I disagree with the doctrine of our church. I just crave the vulnerable discussions that like this podcast gives me or other, other 
and I recognize that that's what church is going to be and needs to be for Latter-day Saints. Um, and there's some people in my ward I can have this kind of discussion with, and it's and that's fine. I'm just coming to peace with that. Um, I talk, think it. Go ahead. I think it, it's important to meet people where they're at. I I would never be blunt or crude or try and bring anyone like you were saying, kind of bring someone through that stage four through the deconstruction. I think I I find value in in talking with people that are still in that stage three that still have the beliefs that I had five years ago. I, they, it's still, you can still have an intellectual conversation and I still believe 90% of what they do. And we, we are, I, I should say we share 90% of our beliefs and just this 10% is just something that I, I, I is enshrouded in doubt. And it's just something that will be a part of me for as long or for the foreseeable future, at least. Talk about core doctrines that just are, for me, there's core kind of dominoes or anchors. Um, talk about those things for you and if and any that are unique to the church that keep you kind of anchored into the church after everything you've seen and gone through. So I did mention that at, at some point I had, I had my doubts about God and Jesus Christ, but as I rebuilt the faith or the belief structure that had crumbled Jesus Christ came back to be the base and the rock. And um, obviously with him, the belief in God. And so built on that within our religion, I would say that the family, I mean, you can't grow up in our church and not love the doctrine on the family. It's something that is incredibly important to me, especially now that I have my own, I have a wife and kids. It's just something that an eternal family is something that I will forever believe um, to be true. And then the idea of eternal progression is something that resonates so deeply within myself. I mentioned going out and picking little pieces of truth from other religions like or or belief systems. I I love the idea of being present from Buddhism but then tying that in with the idea of eternal progression within Mormonism and finding a happy medium, a happy medium there, a marriage of the two, because we, I think a lot of times in the church, we're so busy and we're demanded in so many ways that we forget to slow down and be present. And that's something that Buddhism does very well. But then I also love the idea of focusing on going in a specific direction, being on the path, getting somewhere. And so the eternal progression is something that I will forever take with me as well. I love those. Um, talk, you just talk directly and you've done this already a really good job. Just talk directly to listeners that are, talk to your, maybe talk to you, your 2016, 2017 year old self. That's three years ago. Just talk what you'd say to your 2016, 2017 year old self. Cause there's a lot of people listening that are right there right now. I would tell them that they are definitely not alone. Um, I would tell them to continue to search and to find everything that they can, but to do so with an attitude of trying to stay in the church. I, I know it can be hard and it feels like there are no answers. And a lot of times there aren't answers. I mean, that's what faith is for. Um, but the path ahead of you is not going to be easy. And it, it honestly never really gets easier. But learning how to balance your beliefs and your doubts and finding faith in those doubts, if that makes sense. Like I, I look at faith and faith by its definition has doubt in it. If it's, if it's knowledge and certainty, then it's not faith. And our religion is based on faith. And so understanding that having doubts is okay and that other people are go have gone through this journey and they've come out the other side and they're still 
a member of the church and still actively engaged and wanting to be a part of the religion that you grew up in, or maybe that you're a convert to, it, it could be either, but um, I, w- I would just plead with them to, to try to make it work because I believe it's worth it. And I sure need the company. <laughs> I need more people that have gone through this and have the desire to make it work and the desire to, to find a place and belonging within this beautiful religion and this beautiful culture that we have. It's a great answer. Um, our listeners, one of the podcasts that um, Jordan's reference is Janice Spangler. It's episode 144. It's maybe had 30,000 listens. It's been a great podcast. Thank you, Jana, for your work. Another good podcast that hasn't come up, but it's my favorite podcast probably on reconstruction, deconstruction and reconstruction is Jared Halverson, an institute teacher, 259, sort of talks about this deconstruction and how far it goes down and can it go right down to the very basis, like your belief in God and Christ, and then the reconstruction that Jordan's and I have both been um, doing to get to our new norm, our new steady state. So I I just think, you know, more Latter-day Saints are going to be where you are, Jordan. I think, um, I mean, I don't have, I just look forward to your role in the church and the young men, if you're a young men's leader, or if you're in a YSA assignment or a Sunday school teacher and just the fact you're, I mean, my grandkids could be in your area one day and I would be grateful for you and your wife and your role. And I think we'll learn how to talk about these more complicated things and have more vulnerable discussions at church. Cause my feeling is a lot of members are craving these kind of discussions within the walls of our church. And we just need to mature to a place where we can do this because I think we just bring people together. And I felt listeners, you've heard me talk about this one heart and one mind doesn't mean that we all feel the same about polygamy or about blacks in the priesthood, the church's stance on LGBTQ. I think we need to create space for people. There are people in our church that feel we have a racist past and we need to apologize for our racism. There's people in our church that do not have a testimony of polygamy. Um, and I just think we not that shouldn't be a purity test to feel welcome in our congregations and be and be one heart and one mind means we have the same desire to come into Christ and bring others with us and to connect them with the healing power of the atonement. That's the core. And if we create these sort of litmus tests, of then we, I think we just divide and we get small. It's instead of you know, bringing people with us and honoring where they are, even if we don't feel the same way about other issues, I've learned to be at peace with people having lots of different feelings about lots of different things um, that I don't agree with. And that just takes challenges, but it's saying it's just part of, is it Moroni 7? That's just charity, you know, the description of charity, love unfeigned, you know, long suffering, easily not provoked. And I just think what you're teaching us, Jordan, is to really own the doctrine of Christ and apply in our lives in these type of situations and creating space for others. Um, I, along those lines, I love, I believe it was Uchtdorf who said that there is no sign on our buildings that says that your te- testimony needs to be this tall to enter. And I think that is exactly what you're getting at there. That what? it doesn't matter what doubts you have, how many doubts you have, there should be a place for everyone in the church. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you believe, if, or what you doubt. Um, we should all feel comfortable in the pews on Sunday. What did that talk mean to you when you first heard him say that? Did you hear that before 2016? I don't know when he gave it. Maybe he gave it after 2016. Do you remember what that meant to you? I, I can't remember when he gave that, but I, I, I recently have gone back and read at least an excerpt because I know there's a little bit before that. And it kind of leads up to that quote. And, you know, I believe in big tent Mormonism. I believe that there should be a room for everyone in the chapel on Sunday, regardless of what you're struggling with, 
whether that's doubts, whether that's addiction, whether that's, you know, whatever is on your plate, you should feel comfortable because the, the church should feel like a hospital where sick people go to get better. It's not where better people go to get better. It, I think what you were saying just moments ago about people craving these vulnerable conversations, I think if we can be vulnerable about our doubts, we'll be met with vulnerability as well. If you can open up about what you struggle with, that will open up the door for someone else to feel like it's a safe space where they can talk about what they struggle with. And I think that's what we all crave. That's what I believe Christ would want us to do at church is to to buoy each other up and be real with each other and to keep the judging, leave the judging at the door and, and walk into this safe space where we can all talk about what we're struggling with and help each other in, in our own way. I love your line, Jordan. Vulnerability is met with vulnerability. I wish I'd learned that principle a long time ago. And uh, even as a parent, I've become more vulnerable with our kids are like 19 to 29, six of them. And I've learned to, that that is a parenting skill I would never have thought it would be good for me as the parent to be vulnerable with my own kids about things going on in my life and that they would somehow look less at me as a parent or a, or if I were in a church assignment. But I really agree that what you're teaching and sharing um, because vulnerability is met with vulnerability, and then we're able to help and heal each other. Um, I just, you know, I'm speaking to Jordan here, but I'm speaking to everybody. I think you're a millennial. I get confused on these age groups. Jordan's nodding. But I just think you guys are, and gals, men and women, are the future of the church. I just, I, I, I think that more and more, perhaps stage four, stage people will be in the leadership of our church. And and they'll have the ability to sort of help stage three people feel welcome and not try to, and just love them where they are. And, but also have some of the skills to help stage four and five people feel welcome because they are stage four and five. I think that's one of Janice Spengler's points is it's maybe easier for a four or five to create this feeling of there's no, you know, height of the testimony to be welcome at the door. I'm paraphrasing or, um, Big tent Mormonism. Not that might not be true. I maybe there are perhaps some really good stage three people that are very good at creating a feeling of welcomeness and belonging. But I do come back to this feeling of I have a great deal of I support our leaders, support and sustain our current leaders, but I believe that some of the ways we're going to get to the finish line on some of these issues is your age group, Jordan. Um, because you've had to learn about these things that I was never aware of at your age, and you've had to go through the dark soul of the night earlier. I went through it in my mid-50s. You went through it in your mid-20s. And you've got a lot of years on the other side of this to help people in a way that you would never help. And you're going to have paydays. And this is speaking to you listeners where you're going to be able to go with somebody, and you've already done this, Jordan, and meet them where they are and have the skills to be able to walk that road because because you've walked that road. And those are some of your greatest paydays in the middle of the dark soul of the night. And it's going to make it all worth it. And I felt some of that in my own life. So I have great hope for the future of our church and the future of uh, making congregations more welcome. um, And the kind of parents that you and your wife are to your kids. Any concluding thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, that I, it's hard to know who's all listening to the podcast. And I, I would assume that most people who are listening, I don't want, I don't want to assume, but I'm going to anyways. Um, I would assume that most people on this podcast or that are listening to the podcast have not gone through a faith crisis. And I want you to know that there is a very good chance that if there isn't someone in your life who's gone through something like this, there will be. And there is already, there's a good chance that someone's already gone through it and they just haven't felt comfortable to talk to you about it. And having conversations, having difficult conversations, bringing up difficult points, difficult topics, this will open the door to allow people to feel like there is a place for them in the church. Having, having these 
hard, difficult conversations and opening up with vulnerability for yourself will allow people to feel like there's a place for them, both at your Thanksgiving party or next to you at church. Opening up about these issues is the future. We're, we're in the, like you said, we're in the information age. This isn't the time where you have to go find a book about these things. These things are readily available on the internet. And more and more people, especially my age, are leaving the church. And it's because they don't feel like they can have these intellectually satisfying conversations at church while at the same time understanding all of the background leading up to these topics and all of the messy history. And I think it is incredibly fascinating. I have fallen in love with learning about our history, learning about our present, understanding where we're at, having these difficult conversations, continuing to be open to further light and knowledge, to open to... I loved how Anthony Sweat um, finished his podcast about how the restoration is continuing, allowing for our past mistakes to be our past mistakes and looking to the future with hope for a continuation of the restoration of all things and being open to the, to the further light and knowledge, like I said. And so I, I, I plead to the people who haven't gone through a faith crisis to be okay with people who have and to not ostracize the people who doubt and the people that are going through a faith crisis or have gone through it, please find a way to stay. I, I don't want it to be an unhealthy place for you. If you feel like you, the, the path for you is out of the church, I respect that. But if there is even a little bit of you that feels like you can make it work, I feel like it's worth it. This is just as much my church as it is your church, as it is whoever else in, in the congregation. Let's come together and be the full body of Christ and help everyone edify in our own ways. I, I truly believe that each one of us is an integral part of our congregation at our ward and as a worldwide church. So find a place to stay. I, I, need, your, I need your company. It's a great closing statement. I think of our, one of our prior bishops' scriptures, Jordan, he talks, it's knit, our hearts are knit together somewhere in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and I just think you described that. But to have our hearts knit together, to me, that's not all the same type of yarn and not all the same fabric and the same color. And it's all the beautiful diversity you just talked about. Knit together is the body of Christ. So, uh, yeah, we need everybody kind of where they are to be well, feel welcome. And all your voices are equally needed. Men, women, young, old, lots of church experience, no church experience, faith crisis, never faith crisis. All those voices are equally important and should be valued. So I love the way you just shared that. So um, this has been a great podcast, Jordan. I'm on behalf of all of our listeners. I, we just thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Your Facebook post really moved me. We'll probably link to that in the podcast description, assuming it's a public Facebook post. And so more people can read that um, and connect with you. Um, and just thank you, Jordan Stewart. Keep running marathons and keep being you. The world is a better place with you. And, and thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>